What happened when I saw that and I heard the man plead for his life, it brought back a lot of memories. It brought back a lot of memories about the things that I used to hear my, my father and his friends. And they were they were they were preaching in the sixties and the whites were coming to that church and just beat just beat a man. And, and and be law enforcement and beat a man and said, let this be an example to you um, not to uh, be a part of this freedom march that they had in the 60s here in Hattiesburg with one of the hubs. Mm-hmm. And and when that, that, that officer had his knee on this man's throat and this man was urinating, and he was begging for his life and then he called for his mother. It awakened something in me that I had laid to rest. But what happened with George Floyd, it let me know that it's still alive and well. It's just better organized now. I mean, every now and then you have a, you have a person that just steps totally out of character and do what that officer did. So now uh, uh, everybody has to see it for what it is. It was an execution. And with that brief introduction from segment three, we proceed to our final segment four with Pastor Bruce Betts of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, discussing racism and the kingdom. Not something said uh, publicly enough, and then when it is said, it's shocking. But Bruce, you would have never. So I, I, I was so shocked when I saw it because I knew that it came from a place that I could not understand. It came from mm-hmm. very deep within you, and you've explained that to us. So, actually, I need to, to move to the next question with that, and that, that officer mm-hmm. story was a great compliment. So, what facts do we need to face about the real, on-the-ground truth of active racial discrimination or systemic racism that we, especially white people, haven't acknowledged or we don't want to deal with? Well, it's a fact that you don't want to deal with. I mean, it's uh, it's there. It's the pink elephant with the polka dots is in the room. Uh, just need to listen. Uh, make sure that your heart is right, uh, because a lot of times uh, all the stereotypical things that have been said about uh, blacks and, and Hispanics and all those things resonate in your mind when you're reasoning about um, what what now what do they want now. Like I say, I talk to a lot of white uh, friends of mine, and they've asked me the same question. And I I told them, first of all, in order for you to understand this, you've got to be saved. Okay. A person that is not saved cannot understand unconditional love. I agree. They can't do it. They can't do it. So it's the church's job to spread the gospel. And when they spread the gospel, when these things come up, they need to address it and not allow it to keep going. So what happens is a person gets let's just let's just put it in put it in perspective like this. Um, let's just say uh, a white church um, pastors are preaching. Uh, man gets saved. That's a racist. And he knows a racist. And he does some things and you know kind of off colored and questionable. Come walk, walk the aisle, he's crying, give his life to the Lord. 
if that person is not told what he represents and how he's been living is wrong, they will encompass the gospel with the wrong thinking. Okay. See, sometimes you just cannot overlook things and think that a person will automatically get it. You have to address it, especially if you know it. So do you think, Brother Bruce, that we just accept racism as part of, it's okay to have that, we don't want you going out drinking or dancing or uh, doing whatever, but it's okay. So that that was one that you kind of of jolted me with when we talked, uh, was that I really sensed that it's just accepted. We accept that sin in ourselves and others. That's just like the police office. You know, if you're if you're one of the ones that, that called it out, you know, and I've had this talk with an officer just not to about two days ago. I said, if you're one of the ones that called racism out, no matter what color you are, you run the risk. And I understand, and I told him I sympathize with it. You run the risk of getting in a bind and, and making a call and nobody show up. None of you comrades show up to see about you because you have taken a stand against a commanding officer that was obviously racist and did some things that was on a racial line and said some stuff that was wrong, uh, did this, but because he was your superior officer, uh, you decide, you, you thought about just pushing it on the rug, but something on the inside of you said, no, this is wrong. Then when you take the stance, the whole police force will come, become, mm. will come against you. That's a very difficult position to put a person in law enforcement in that's really that's not high on the totem pole. Brother Bruce, you kind of imply in this, and I don't think you're, you're implying it actively or intentionally, but that racism is the kind of uh, the kind of background within white churches, Southern churches especially, that it's just the thing that's there that we all kind of know that's concealed or made to look nice, and that we won't call it out. Right. That's the difficulty of it because a lot of preachers won't call it out because they felt like they'd get run off. Right. Because as young as young Maxwell would say, there's a clawed in every church. Okay. <laughs> and usually that clawed runs things. We can say what we will or may. If there's a strong male presence in that church that has embraced preachers or didn't embrace preachers, the, the consciousness of that church hinges on what he says in high feet. So John Maxwell's uh, 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 advice to any preacher is to get to know Claude. Get Claude to like you. Mm-hmm. Once Claude starts to like you, you can start addressing some flaws in Claude that he'll accept from you because he likes you now. Okay. You will not be able to change the culture of their church until you change clothes. And you, because the church don't have the courage to stand up against clothes. Okay, and that you draw it right down to a really good thing for us to to pray about and search out. What hope do you see right now, Brother Bruce, with all of this that's going on in in church culture in the South um, that you've not seen before? Oh, I, I, man, it's, it's every, everything, is, there, there's hope in the gospel. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. A person without, the, and that's the resounding um, theme I've had, a person without the gospel has no hope. 
But if we could get our people, and when I say our people, saved folks, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to get beyond their personal stuff and start looking at things through God's eyes as opposed to their, their eyes, we could make a big, significant shift, especially during this pandemic. Let's take the children of Israel, for instance, coming out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea before. Okay? They, they were looking at, so how in the world? How in the world are we going to cross this sea? Sarah Pharaoh's behind us. We can hear, feel the chariots and the horses coming. They're going to kill us. But when they started looking at things through God's eyes, they saw a watery grave. But God saw an expressway. <laughs> I'm not getting in that risk. We're going to drown. Well, if we don't get, if we don't get out there, what's going to happen is Pharaoh going to kill us all. So we might, but God said, trust me, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad your situation is or how much, how bad your history is, trust me from now on. If you trust me from now on, everything that looks like it's destructive, I can turn it around to make it something better. So God turned that watery grave into an expressway. Not only an expressway, it was dry. Yeah. And they didn't have no problem crossing the Red Sea. Should have been mud so three, that, four that, feet deep. Right. But it wasn't. See, that's, that's, that's the element that we, in my favorite verse of Scripture is at Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Mm-hmm. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lead not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall yes. direct him. That's where we need to be. Every blood-bought believer needs to be in that mode of thinking. If, if, Doc, if we can get in that mode of thinking, we'd stamp out all this racial hatred. Well, I'll tell you a story, Brother Bruce, and I want to let you ask. I want, to, I want you to answer two more questions. I want to tell you a brief story that I alluded to in our conversation, but this is... This was life-changing for me, um, and it's something that I'm trying to go back step-by-step step with my children and, and unteach, if you will. Um, 2015, I have a very soft-hearted uh, youngest child who um, very, very respectful and submissive, but uh, we were in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we were driving around, and, and I'm a very critical person in my flesh, and this was not a racial issue. This was a person that was walking down the street and I made a, a very snide comment because of the way that they were walking or carrying themselves. And my daughter said something to me, basically like, Dad, you don't know them. And Bruce, I'm telling you, my heart broke. And God opened up in me something in 2015 that he's never closed. And it was not long after this time that my pastor at the time, Brother Joe Morrell, came and he said, Eric, I want you to study race and I want you to give a talk on it. And, Bruce, I spent those months, and I'll tell you what what happened to me that I cannot believe happened to me because I was raised in a town where um, racism was the rule. I mean, it was understood. And uh, our black people lived across one side of the tracks. White people lived on the other. I was taught as a child that because of the sin that Ham committed against his dad, whatever that was, that black people were cursed. Right. I don't blame anybody for that but myself because after I was saved, I, I I had to study for a long time to talk myself out of that because the curse was actually on Canaan, and Canaan didn't even live in Africa. He lived in Canaan. 
The sure. curse wasn't even on black people. Come on. I'm there's Lord, exactly forgive right. me. Help me. Lord help. So let me tell you where I got to, brother. Um and uh I, I briefly shared this with you, but I want the audience to hear it because this is gonna this is gonna hurt some of y'all. And brother Bruce, I hope it, it blesses you. But when I got to the end of that three months, I looked at that same daughter and I said, Darling, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what this whole racial thing in the South comes down to is white daddies and white mamas are afraid that their white daughter is going to marry a black man. And I stand here today before you, darling, and I'm telling you, if God leads a young black man that knows Jesus because he doesn't want you to be unequally yoked, whether it's on Tana Island where we do mission work or in the United States, I said, darling, God has changed me. And I understand now that there is no difference and there is no more black or white. There is no more Jew and Gentile. There's no more Samaritans. There are no more male and female in the sense of spiritual things. And I said, darling, if that's what happens, all I'll ever do is love that young man and your children. And Bruce, when that happened to me, all of a sudden, I had a love that I never had before. And I'm convinced now that I I don't have it all together yet in this. I really don't. And I know there's a lot of people listening that don't either. But, brother, I'm telling you, that's where this thing runs down to. This is what, what the problem ultimately is. So comment on that, and then I've got two more questions for you. That was an eye-opening experience for you. Um, and that, that's, that's what we were taught. That's, that was the fear. You know, since we, since we opened that door, that's what we were taught. Uh, as black, young black boys, that that uh, the white man feared you um, taking a daughter. And uh, that's what we were told. That's why we were told to uh, never approach them, never talk to them, um, just, just, just walking up, even if they're trying to. You know, my father had this conversation with me when I was a young man, and I was a young man. I didn't understand really racial things because I had white friends and all. And... Uh, one day, um, one of the uh, friends of mine, it's a white girl, she told me she liked me. And I said, oh, okay, well, I like you too. So we kind of was talking on the phone and all. And then uh, my dad overheard me telling my brother that uh, I was liking uh, this white girl. My dad's facial expression changed a lot. And he sat me down and he said, son, he said, uh, there's not a hateful bone in my body. He said, I'm not talking to you uh, about this because I hate her. He said, I love her. I don't even know a son and I love her because the love that God has given me. He said, but I'm telling you some things that that's going to save your life. And I said, well, I said, what is, what is, he said, he said, son, in our society, black men don't date white women. He said, you will be killed for that. And not only will you be killed, the person that killed you will not spend a day in prison. So it would be best for you and her not to do that. And, and I was, I still kind of, messed up about it, but that's my dad, and I did what he told me to do. On the whole, I talked with the young lady a couple of days afterwards. Her parents had the same, told her the same thing. So, that's a lot of it. But here again, 
that uh, uh, this is not a conversation that saved folks need to have. I mean, supposed to have. Right. They need to have because they, they're not they're not supposed to talk like that. There should no should not be any precautions in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. But because of of hatred and ignorance, saved people have to have this conversation in order to make sure that they're not violating um, the Lord's word by hating uh, another individual. And to me, when the Lord saved me, that all of that was, if, if I had any in me, which I'm sure I did, that was gone. Because I wanted to be so much like Christ, I wanted to be able to love a person that I don't know from a different culture, from a different race. I made it my business to 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 have that love, and you can feel it. Yes, you can feel that love that you have for another person that you don't even know. And then the, the people that you do know, as contrary as they may be, you got that love for them too. So I love that feeling, and I'm not going to let anything or anybody <laughs> cause me not to have that. So then how would you so, summarize, Brother Bruce, if you just take what you just said, how would you summarize the Lord's teaching, Jesus' teaching on these things so that all people could understand the truth and live with full Christian love? I just, I, this, is, this is something that, that, um, that the Lord's churches need to do. You must deny yourself with thinking in the self-mindset, with thinking about protecting something that don't belong to you no way. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. All of it belongs to God. And if we treat God's property as his property and not ours, we can love people unconditionally. We put too much um, uh, uh, value on things that don't belong to us. That causes us to be separatists. Because I may have a, a 10 acres and you got 10,000 acres. Now, because of my 10 acres, you're superior. You feel like you're superior to me because you have, out of your own zeal, you have been crafty enough to accumulate those 10,000 acres. But at what cost? Did, did you underhandedly uh, acquire somebody's land because they was in a position where they couldn't help themselves and, and you you did that uh, and, and, and in secret or or ever how you did it and then you ever all you want to do is accumulate more and more and more and this this is what happens to us as people the more we get if our heart is not right the more racist we're going to be because we feel like we're we do this this is this is our reward for being crafty, being smart, being smarter than the next guy. I had an opportunity to get somebody's property that I knew that wasn't able to pay taxes on it, and they were they were they, it had been going on uh, 
a couple of years. And to get down to the third year, you pay the property taxes on there, you assume the property. I knew, the, knew, knew, knew something about the person, but I didn't really know. In my mind, I'm thinking that's being savvy in business. But I'm, take, I'm about to take the only home that this person knows for, for a few dollars. I went to that person. I sat down with him. I said, do you know that you're about to lose your property? Well, I just, I just, I didn't know because I, I just hadn't had the money to pay taxes and barely got money to keep the lights on. I went and paid the property taxes for him, called him up, put it in his name. And he's an older gentleman. And I made a promise to myself and to the Lord that as long as he's living, I'll pay those taxes for him. I don't want it. It's his home. I respect that fact that it's his home. He, he come up hard. He doesn't have the resources that I have. Don't have the resources that other people have, but he needs a place to stay. Lord has blessed me to be able to facilitate that for him. Until the day the Lord takes him away, he'll never have to worry about those taxes being paid on that property. That's the mentality, brother. The attitude that God's people ought to have when it comes to other people. You you bring up something that goes along with a lot of the political obsession, I think, is that when we get comfortable and when we have it like we want it, and I can be just as guilty of this as anybody, we don't want anything to change. We're afraid things are going to change. We're afraid that the culture is going to change or our traditions are going to be taken away, even in churches. And I see a tremendous parallel between what we're seeing in the, the cultural and the racial and the political because Christian people are all afraid they've made a God out of their tradition and their history and, well, it's always been this way and I've got mine and I'm struggling with this right now myself. So where do you see those two things coming together that you were talking about, having the respect for this man and not wanting his things as much as you want him to live where he belongs? Right. That's, 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 that's the, the key to loving thy neighbor, not obsessing. You know, our country was built on coveting. The reason a lot of people drive Cadillac because they've seen somebody else with it. Right. The reason people buying up ranches because somebody else got a ranch. There's, there's been a, a desire created, and it's, it's, it's coveting. <laughs> it's the capitalistic society that we live in, but it's coveting. You know, when these things don't matter to us, and, it, and, and what matters to us is the soul of the individual, man, God will run you over with stuff. Because you know what they'll mean this thing to you. And, yes, and the Lord and one of our pastors recently said we get guilty as Christians of, of starting to worship the blessing, little b blessing, more than the capital B blessor. And and I and I say this is something I'm struggling with. So, brother, this this opens eyes. I want you to just take two or three minutes. What do you want people to understand about all this? And how would you close this conversation uh, so that that we could all move toward the gospel and toward real Christian love and away from all the division and the strife that we're struggling with? Care out the Great Commission. The best way to deal with yourself is get busy doing the Lord's work and ask him to reveal yourself to you. 
When you carry out that great commission, go ye therefore, teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. When you do that, you're so consumed with the welfare of the soul of everybody that you fall in love with people and don't look at where they come from. All you're concerned about is where they're going and you're trying to help them. Mm. Well, brother, that's uh, that's wise advice to close on. Now, I got a favor to ask you. Uh, when you've been at Flatwood, yes, you always sing. Give them, give them one line, one line of your favorite song. I want to hear you sing tonight. Okay. <laughs> one line of my favorite. <laughs> your favorite. Okay. Um, Bless you, sure. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. I'm born of his spirit, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, I'm praising my Savior. All the day long. Oh, thank you, Brother Bruce. Listen, uh, I count it a privilege, an honor. Uh, love talking to you. I hope this is not the last time we do this because I'm sure in a few months, years, there'll be other things come up that uh, we all need to take a perspective on that we don't have. But I uh, really do appreciate you making the time, and I'm sure people will uh, let us know uh, how much they appreciate uh, you being willing to open up yourself and uh, talk about your life and your your mission work there and your family. And uh, I really do appreciate you and love you. Love you too, brother. And y'all continue to pray for us that the Lord provide to finish the building and, uh, and provide through this pandemic that uh, we can start assembling ourselves together. Yes, sir. And I look forward to seeing it with my eyes. Brother Bruce, yes, have a good night. Thank you so much. Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, I'm born of his spirit.